the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merc, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. our first show yesterday some human roach in colorado self-loathing 21 year old moron decided rather than to just take his own life he would take the lives of 10 innocent people and injure many more and the crisis profiteers we call politicians in a political party that i believe is a neo-marxist party use this as an excuse to almost instantaneously i don't need to wait another minute let alone an hour to take common sense steps I will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. We can close the loopholes in our background check system, including the Charleston loophole. That's one of the best tools we have right now to prevent gun violence. So the actions of the Roach will be used against the innocent as they seize our freedoms and our liberties and our rights Ironed out in the Constitution. So I wanted to bring on an expert. Stephen Gutowski, Free Beacon Firearms Policy Reporter. Stephen, how are you? I want to thank you for joining me. I'm doing good. How are you? Very good, very good. So I kind of knew where this was going when I was watching the story. I wanted to bring you on to tell me a little bit both about the story and about what we're going to face in the uh Gun grab, what I think is going to be used as a gun grab uh, in the future in the name of this, uh, this, this murderer. Yeah, I mean, certainly, um, as I'm sure you and, uh, and your listeners have seen uh, happen over and over again, um, one of these uh, horrible, horrible attacks, uh, these murders happen, uh, and then <clears throat> there's a political debate in the immediate aftermath, and, and I think it's been moving uh, much faster recently in terms of when when things move on to the political debate uh, almost instantaneously now, as you mentioned. But uh, um, and so certainly we've seen that with um, what happened on Monday um, in Colorado, uh, where where uh, as you described, there was a um, person who decided to murder ten people, including a police officer, and. Um, and now, um, essentially, right away, um, you've had a number of Democrats, prominent Democrats, including the president, um, call for um, not only passing new legislation, new gun laws, um, but also uh, even removing the filibuster 
that stands in the way of a lot of these um, sort of uh, measures that they want to put in place. Because right now, um, the reality is, uh, with a 60-vote threshold for a lot of these gun control reforms that Democrats want, uh, and with the Senate being divided evenly at 50-50, it's going to be very difficult for Democrats to actually pass most of the bills that they want to see passed, um, especially the more uh, aggressive ones like this AR-15 ban uh, that the president uh, alluded to in his comments there. Now, Stephen, I am uh, broadcasting from the utopia of neo-Marxist corrupt mafia Democrat policies known as Chicago. And just on Saturday, there was something called a pop-up party, which I didn't really know existed. And in during the pop-up party on Saturday, 15 kids were shot, yet it didn't make anything more than our chubby Irish local reporters that, that said it in about a 30-second blurb. There was no pomp and circumstance. And there isn't when we have a weekend where we average around 40 shootings and about 10 deaths. Thank God they don't, you know, the, the gangbangers are having a hard time aiming well. Um, so we are living where it is the most restrictive gun laws. People who follow the law can't get the guns. But yet, as we know, the criminals really don't have a problem getting guns. So from what I understand, this particular cockroach um, acquired the gun six days prior to the shooting. Is that right? Uh, I believe that's the reporting right now. I think there's been some reporting... And obviously, this is still early on, and we tend to learn a lot more mm-hmm. as we get further out from these events. But, um, you know, there are reports that his family members uh, have said he had severe mental health issues, um, which raises a number of other questions about why he wasn't involuntarily committed. Or, um, you know, Colorado has a red flag law, um, why that wasn't, you know, used to keep him from doing something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions still. Um, and what we have, what we know now, really just raises more questions. And you're an expert, and as you know, we uh, actually had a federal assault weapons ban. It lasted for ten years, from '94 to '04. Is there any data that proves that during that ban, there was a significant drop off, or do I remember something called Columbine in that time frame? What exactly was the outcome of the federal assault weapons ban from '94 to '04? Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's some obviously conflicting opinions on how effective the Sullivan's ban was, but the DOJ did a uh, um, a study uh, after the ban lapsed in 2004 that suggested there wasn't a significant impact on uh, on violent crime or murder in the United States as a result of of the ban. As I remember from the campaign, um, there was a, a a real mission by the Democrats to sell this phony safety that they do in Chicago by saying to make guns more difficult for honest people, law-abiding people to get, it kind of betters the chances of shootings happening, yet they refuse to look at the actual evidence of where the most stringent gun laws are, are often some of the most violent places. Do you think that... um, the Democrat Party in total is interested in the safety of the people or more interested in stripping away the rights of the law-abiding people? Because to me, it feels like the latter. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's uh, it's always difficult when you're talking about reading people's uh, intentions. Um, certainly, uh, the Democratic Party has... Um, moved further left on the issue in the last uh, five years or so. Um, you know, the, uh, when Al Gore lost his election, 
for president, a lot of people in the Democratic Party blamed their uh, aggressive stance on gun control in part for that, and we saw um, sort of less of an emphasis placed on the issue in the party for a couple decades afterwards. But uh, in recent times, uh, starting with perhaps uh, you know, uh, President Obama um, and you know, Joe Biden as vice president, that trend is they, they've trended back, back towards stricter gun laws to the point now where you have um, you know prominent members of the party, Beto O'Rourke, for example, um, even Kamala Harris at one point, advocating for um, confiscation of certain firearms, not just uh, ban on new sales, but also taking away firearms already legally owned and lawfully purchased. Um, and so you've seen uh, the party become far more aggressive on the issue, for sure. You have an article that uh, I believe you wrote on the 17th, Colorado Judge Strikes Down Boulder's AR-15 Ban. Do you think, can you t- first of all, tell me about this, and obviously this is this timing is peculiar at best, wouldn't you say? But go ahead, tell me a little bit about this. Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly you've seen uh, a lot more people paying attention to that, uh, given what happened in Colorado, because uh, uh, the shooter is reported to have used it. Um, and they are 15 um, in this this particular case. And so people are pointing to this ruling. Uh, basically, the ruling, so Boulder City Council passed an ordinance, um, you know, banning the possession of AR-15s, so it's sort of a confiscation order there. Um, and the problem was uh, that Colorado, like most states, requires that gun laws be instituted at the state level. Um, so localities can't pass their own gun laws because um, the theory is that it would create uh, a sort of patchwork. Um, I mean, I believe you guys experienced this to some degree with Chicago versus laws in other parts of Illinois, um, where you know it can be difficult for people to navigate this sort of spider web of different laws, um, where something might be perfectly legal in the county that they live in, but the next county over, it's a felony. Um, and so this this ordinance, which, by the way, was never actually enforced. No one was ever arrested under this. They never actually uh, enforced this at all. So it wouldn't have had any um, practical impact in the, this actual shooting that occurred. But, um, uh, you know, obviously people are making the connection between that ordinance losing a court and then the shooting. Yeah, losing just a month prior, really. I mean, the ruling was just a month prior to the shooting. You know, when I think of Colorado, you know, you'll have to forgive me. I'm from Chicago. We think of it as the West, right? I watch Yellowstone. I want to buy a cowboy hat and a big farm and go out there and live like a free man. Is it, isn't it shocking to a certain degree that the city council would even pass such a law in a Western known area like Boulder, Colorado, or Colorado in general? Isn't this kind of surprising when you see the Wild West, which has obviously been tamed, turn into New Jersey, New York, Chicago? Uh, well, uh, I mean, yeah, you, you know, certainly for the, I guess, how a lot of Americans are perceived, Colorado, I could see where you're coming from on that. But uh, Colorado has actually become more, much more liberal in, in recent years, and um, they passed a ban on uh, um, the new sale of uh high-capacity magazines and magazines that hold more than 10 rounds of ammunition, mm-hmm. uh, which is a fairly aggressive, uh, very aggressive uh, form of gun control that's not implemented in many states, but Colorado did implement that. Now, the legislature uh, who 
legislators who implemented that faced recall elections. You might remember this from, from a few years back. Yeah. So it was a huge political uh, upheaval caused by this implement uh, the implementation of these strict gun laws. But Colorado itself has actually trended uh, more blue in recent years and more as a result, so, you know, that they've passed stricter gun laws there. Um, and, and Boulder, Colorado in particular is, uh, is a very liberal town. Um, and so it's, uh, you know, when you look at the local politics of the area, it's not too surprising. It's also, uh, important to consider that, uh, among gun control activists, this idea of trying to challenge these, uh, what they're called state preemption laws where, uh, you know, the state has to make all the gun laws. They, they've been trying to change that across the country for years, um, and generally, failing in court to do so. But, uh, you know, you put all those things together, that, that's how you got a situation like this, where these, these city council members might pass something knowing that they probably won't succeed in court, uh, but they want to do it as a sort of symbolic gesture um, and part of this campaign to uh, go after these state preemption laws. Stephen Gutowski, freebeacon.com. Stephen, when I have a guest on, I don't just take, I give. So here, I'm going to give you a little fodder for your next article. I believe this can be traced right back to when Colorado started opening up pot shops. You invited in all of the hippies. They're high. They don't want anybody having guns. They want to stay out all night, and they want money for nothing and chicks for free. I think you could title your next article that way. I won't sue you for credit. Have at it, and I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll take your calls when we get back. 312-642-5600. Trying to soften me up a little bit, huh? So here's the question. Will this tragedy, the actions of one that we know nothing about, the excuses will come out, and by the end of the week, he will be the victim, and you will be the perpetrator. He will be the sob story, or maybe he will be the, 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 the chosen mental health problem, the excuse, and we need more uh, red flag laws. But in the end of the day, you will lose your rights, in my opinion. I believe that the neo-Marxists led by the man in diapers will successfully, successfully assault the Second Amendment. Do you? Lines are open. 312-642-5600. What is your major malfunction? We are living in a climate now where the actions of these, these lowlifes are used to, to indict the innocent. The innocent, the law-abiding people, are the only ones who ever pay the cost for this. 312-642-5600. I believe the neo-Marxists led by Joe Biden in diapers will successfully, successfully ban not only assault weapons, make it harder for all guns. Do you? 312-642-5600. I don't need to wait another minute, let alone an hour, to take common sense steps that will save the lives in the future and to urge my colleagues in the House and Senate to act. We can ban assault weapons and high-capacity magazines in this country once again. We can close the loopholes in our background check system, including the Charleston loophole. That's one of the best tools we have right now to prevent gun violence. 
Why couldn't this be part of the fact that maybe, perhaps, just maybe, I took a look at this 21-year-old fat slob, perhaps he was upset because of COVID restrictions. Perhaps he was depressed and put into this tizzy of hating humanity because he had been under house arrest for 12 months at the direction of the Democrats. But what do they do best? Crisis profiteers. Take advantage. Never let a crisis go unused at this particular moment rather than focusing on the perpetrator his actions his atrocities will be used against the innocent this seems to be a theme this is the fundamental denominator of virtually every one of these these stories we were going to do one prior to this about reparations has the same undertone point You're guilty for the actions of others. You must pay for the actions of others. We must sacrifice ourselves for the actions of others. I completely disagree with that. Let's go to Ralph and Rantoul. Hi, Ralph. Hey. How are you, Sean? Hey, here's my thought. Um, if, If they get rid of the filibuster, then I do think that serious Second Amendment infringement will commence unabated. However... There are enough nutless wonders that still hide in the Senate that if they really tried to gut the two-way, it would be unsuccessful. But, you know, here's my big problem, is that most of the time, the weenies that uh, are the Republicans in Congress, uh, Senate and House included, they do not use power when they have it. Democrats are not so shy. And the next time you see Paul Ryan, just look at him with a, a hard stare and say, you lump of feculence. I love it, Ralph. And I love the fact you called my show. You're one of my favorite callers, and you know that. I'm wondering, Ralph, though, we live in the, in the utopia of Democrat policies, also known as the ghetto of Chicago. Can, is there an area that they can point to of success of their so-called weapons ban, especially when you have a country that already has tens of millions of weapons in it? Do you think that the Republicans will put any any you think they're going to put any fight up or are we all just going to Mitch McConnell ourselves? I I think they will fight. I think they must fight. You know, I mean, think about 1994, Dianne Feinstein assault weapon ban. She's never forgotten it. She's animated by her hatred for you, the lawful gun owner. Uh, And so therefore now they're reanimated by the dark spirits that they call, I don't know, souls. I think they're just a bunch of empty holes. Thank you. Oh, you've got to end that. I think we should end on empty holes. I think that was perfect. Thank you, Ralph. I really appreciate it. Let's get to the other calls. John in Portage Park. Hi, Sean. Uh, I had a, a Bruce Master, what they would call an assault weapon on TV, and uh, a, a pistol, a Glock, mm-hmm. and they were both uh, stolen three days after Joe Biden was elected, and I have the papers to prove it. So. Nice. See, and you know, it's interesting, John. That's an interesting point. See, when you fear your government, totalitarian governments only have one thing that they do successfully, and that is to create a black market, to create an underworld. See, our Eastern European former Soviet friends who have fled the Soviet failures, they understand that. And this is the the gangbangers in Chicago. How many of these gangbangers, what was it, 40 this week were shot? How many of them were shot with legal weapons from concealed and carry people? How many? It doesn't matter how many times they fail, because that is their goal. The actual failure is their success, because now they can use that crisis to profit. 
That's what we're up against. This isn't America anymore. And you could see it as the knee-jerk reaction from this dimwit in diapers is to come out and it threaten you. He threatened the, the, the law-abiding people with actions, not the criminals. They never are threatened. Pete, Northwest Side. Yeah, Sean, thank you for taking my call. Uh, my comment is this. Uh, uh, since the Biden presidency, which has been, what, 60, 70 days now? Feels like 60 or 70 years. <laughs> well, we've, we've had two, school, two shootings, you know, two mass uh, shootings. Uh, during the uh, Trump presidency, we only had one, and that was the FBI had information they could have stopped it. I believe that the FBI is complicit in this stuff. Yeah, well, I think they know about it, and they just they just let it. That's, a, that's an that's an indictment of specificity. Here's what I will say: I believe the FBI has been politicized. I think that's fair enough to say. I don't think that they knew about it. I don't think the FBI. At least, I listen. If we, if we really get to that point, Pete, thank you for calling. If we really get to that point where we think the FBI knows about stuff and lets it happen, well, then <laughs> I don't think that. I think there are good people in the FBI. However, I do think the FBI has been politicized, but I don't think that we have FBI agents that would have let this tragedy happen. I think that's just a step too far. 312-642-5600. I'll be back after this. Good song, but we're not going to do the border right now. We'll do that later about the drug smuggling going on across the border. Right now, we're going to still focus on the crisis profiteers, neo-Marxists we call Democrats, by the way, supported by Republicans. That's all I think about when I hear these stories. These stories have a couple of common denominators. And the number one is that the, the party, the Democrat Mafia Party, is always going to use it to expand its power, its control over you. Number two, that very institution is supported by numerous Republicans who pretend they're the opposition. And when I face things like this, this is whether it's the assault on the Second Amendment, whether it's the expansion of health care, whether it's the expansion of house arrest under the guise of, of COVID protection for your own good. My, my, the one thing that I, I think we need to focus on a little bit more is the bills that look like policy, look like economic policy, but they really, in my opinion, are sabotage. For instance, this cannot be a real policy that is intended to succeed. It needs to be, it, it has to be a policy that is used to implode our wealth and put us into constant servitude. And what I mean by this policy is the new policy after they just jammed the $1.9 trillion spending bill. You know the one where that shooter that just killed the 10 people in Colorado where he got a check for $1,400, where the guy who's beating his wife right now as we speak got a check for $1,400. And if they got kids, they really raked it in. The bill that just gives not just to people to make them shut up 1400 measly dollars, but the one that includes hundreds of billions of dollars of payoffs to campaign contributors. The ink isn't even dry, and the White House considers a $3 trillion recovery plan. Now, they're going to put it into two bills. $3 trillion. I'm old enough to remember when the conservative party started. It was over a debt of $80 billion. Did you know that? I wasn't around for Barry Goldwater, but I remember reading about it. Barry Goldwater, it was $80 billion in debt, spurred an entire movement. That turned into the Libertarian Party, that turned into the Conservative Party. It was about the citizens being so outraged that an irresponsible government would have the audacity to bury its future in debt of $80 billion. The average spending bill is now more than that. This is $3 trillion after 
$1.9 trillion. And they wrap it in the same phony virtue, the same innuendo of inequities, the same innuendos of they need to do this to make things level. The Biden administration plans on spending this in everything from neighborhood reinvestment. They use the word infrastructure, which, as you know, and we know, you know, we live in a city that's been doing an, ex- an exit ramp on an expressway for 10 years at a cost of we don't even know what to the same construction company that donates all the profits back to the politicians that OK, the spending bill. This Ponzi scheme we call an economy, this legal corruption we call contributions and lobbying. It is it is insatiable. We have cooked the books and created. Six point two trillion dollars before this, before this, we're going to be at ten trillion dollars in one short year, the same year we were all placed under house arrest. And you're telling me we need this and this is anything but sabotage. This is economic sabotage. You know, I I laugh. People go, how could Bitcoin Bitcoin today? Fifty four thousand dollars, fifty four thousand dollars, fifty four six for a Bitcoin, one Bitcoin that two years ago was three thousand dollars in making the news. Why? Why is it fifty four thousand? When you look at it through fundamentals, the real question is, why isn't it two hundred thousand? Because the dollar is toilet paper. The dollar gets printed up. It gets spread around to the mafia. And we keep pretending as citizens we're benefiting from these policies rather than recognizing what these policies are. These policies are excuses for future taxation. Yes. For future control of the citizens. Yes. But moreover, for total dominance over your financial life. And your grandkids and your great grandkids, you're not going to meet Janet Yellen at the same time this happens, clears the way for an international tax policy. I had to get this at the Jerusalem Post because what we call our media, they're only going to print what they're told to print because they're not a media. They're propagandists. They are salesmen for the neo-Marxist parties calling themselves Democrats. Janet Yellen is now opening up taxation for corporations that have any American citizens in them. She wants the corporate tax. She wants the long-term capital gains, all taxed at income tax levels. The destruction that that will do for the velocity of money, you can never repair. See, there's always two kinds of economies. There's the real ones that we the people do. And then there's the fake ones that are funded by government money. That's the one thing I want to do in this show. Make you understand that once a well is tainted, you can't unseparate the water. Once the government puts its tax money, its debt into an economy, into a section of the economy, you can never pull it back out. There is a reason for this. They have backdoor taken control in 2008 during the housing crisis. That was the greatest thing never happened to the government. They collaborated. We used to have 84 banks that controlled massive amounts of business. There are seven banks that control 90 percent of the business. They took their opportunity to seize control. It is the backdoor overthrow of capitalism, of Americanism. When you have, a, 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 when you have Janet Yellen, a Fed head, who is supposed to be separate from the government, come out and say, we are now going to tax companies at the same rate as income, and we're going to tax long-term capital gains. And by the way, we're working on a wealth tax. If you should have the audacity to get money over a certain threshold that we decide, Mrs. Doubtfire, that she is. And that Joe Biden, by the way, 
You want to know the only hope when you think about Joe Biden? Is this political whore for half a century is so corrupt, he's going to leave some avenues for you to make money. Otherwise, his cabal is damaged. So they'll always protect their little tax shelters, but they're always going to be into bribing the politician. Their money has been so interwined with us, we don't have a private economy anymore. And it's not the old-fashioned where they would say, oh, it's a hybrid. It's a hybrid. We've got some government money, some private sector money. Where's the separation now? Where's the separation when you've borrowed debt, when you've made it so that people are subsidizing corporate debt and buy bonds all by Janet Yellen and all the eggheads who were over at the Federal Reserve because it's so pure. It's really achieved its mission of stability in the economy, hasn't it, since its implementation? Or has it done anything but? And in the meantime, what it has managed to do is bastardize our very currency. This is what affects you and me and your kids, rich people and poor people. But what it definitely is going to do and what the the neo-Marxist party is going to do is make it so that you can't get out from under it anymore. This three trillion dollars, put a six on it. You know what? Make it a nine trillion dollars. It doesn't matter because the Leviathan is insatiable. And the idea that we would let the dumbest man that ever held the office, the dumbest, a liar, For 50 years, the most corrupt that we now know, we all know. These were the worst kept secrets in Washington. The brothers, the sister, the son. And not a reporter says a word, I guess. It's why a reporter doesn't say a word when they're told, don't go to the border. I guess it's why reporters aren't doing their jobs anymore. And they're being told what to say and have become successfully into propagandists. The reality is, if, 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 if we keep down this, I, I don't even know, I don't even know if, we're, if we're not already past it. It may already be too late. How do you get your economy back when you have to tax your way out of $32 trillion that they admit to? The same time they're adding it constantly. The ink isn't even dry. Do you not care about your kids? I mean, is it all just a great lie? I know it's a lie when it comes to land of the free, home of the brave. We saw this last year. You're anything but free, and you're certainly not brave. And now this whole thing that we are, we are, have a republic? Where are the Republicans? We have a republic here? They're going to jam through anything they want. They did $1.9 trillion really in two weeks. The ink's not wet. They're going to do $3 trillion. How do you possibly earn a living for yourself without being obligated to corruption you didn't abide by? Everybody's a Chicagoan. The whole country's a Chicagoan. Do you see it? Are you going to lean on your so-called Republican to put up a fight? Or is your Republican like our Republicans here in Illinois? You know, like the Adam Kinzingers who vote, who voted for Joe Biden? Like the never Trumpers who voted for Joe Biden and now pretend to be outraged. How could they do this? How could you not see this stupid? How could you not see it? That's why you want to know something. The the people who are doing this, they are not just Democrats. They are not socialists. They are not democratic socialists. They are anti-American Soviets. This isn't a spending bill. This isn't about the American economy. This is about destroying your wealth and damning you into servitude for a hundred years. So when you see $3 trillion spending bill to save you, it's not meant to save you. It's meant to imprison you. Start identifying things for what they are. 312-642-5600. Taxes, taxes, taxes. 
No matter what you do, you're guilty. Got to pay the taxes. The other thing is what they don't understand is rich people don't have to invest. Rich people don't have to invest. In fact, if you got enough money, you don't have to do anything. And, and, and the real question is the short-sightedness on the Democrats because they think there's a money tree. It just starts with a G. If we take our money out, if capitalists were to sit out of the economy, is it just going to be the constant flow of government money? But maybe that's what they want. After all, you spread it around and you're buying loyalty. That's what we're really talking about. The Democrat Party is made up, I always say, of two things. Either those in the mafia that profit from this corruption, profit from this funny money. You know, when you really think about it, the $1.9 trillion is going to make a lot of corrupt donors very, very wealthy. It's going to make a lot of corrupt donors very, very wealthy. It's going to be like Monday after the Super Bowl at the Ravenites Club. If you own one of these politicians, you know, like even if they're Republicans, like let's say Adam Kinzinger. I can't imagine why they give him money, but Adam Kinzinger raises millions of dollars. So if you give them money and this pork comes back, we're, going to, we're efforting too to get an expert on this. The pork comes back, it gets spread out. They sprinkle the infield, as it's called, right? So now you get your money's worth. And this is called an economy. See, because the government is under the impression, and Democrats in particular, that if they print money, it's just as good as the money that the private sector generates organically. That somehow America became the richest, most economically powerful nation on the planet because their government spent money. Well, wait a minute. That's not what really happened. In fact, the way in which we had our biggest economic boom and the way in which we became a superpower and the way that this all happened was because the government had, was handcuffed. They used to call it gridlock. It was the concept of politicians who knew the corrupt men would seek those positions if they had absolute power. So the reality is, do you see a time when it's just all over and there is no private economy and we're some European hybrid? Because that's what it feels like to me. In fact, the only difference between us and England is some transgendering queen, although we do have Carl Rove. Mary in Midway, how are you? Oh, hi, Sean. This is apropos of nothing, but um, you're... What That's you a good T-shirt America, right there. America is over, right. America is over because here I am driving. It didn't surprise me at all. I'm driving on Saturday and I pass a very popular banquet hall. God, my mother and her sisters used to go to weddings there, fashion shows. Kind of a nice place. Well, it didn't surprise me. I go by. I, it's been closed with COVID, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, I drive by. Backed up like crazy. Fumes, gas fumes. All People are... Going to get their free food. This place is now where you go get your free oh, food yeah. inside in the parking lot. Buses. Oh, what way it gets better? Then there's one on Pulaski by me. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, there's this new. It's called New Age Church or something. Oh, that's every Saturday. Gas fumes because everybody they got boxes on their head. And you know what? I used to kvetch about this neighborhood a little bit, like maybe ten, twenty years ago. Yeah. Now I think what a gem it was. That's exactly right, Mary. Thank you for the call. That's called what Hugo Chavez used to call that appropriating. So there's no business there. The private business is out. Now it's just part of the government business. Even It's in their failure lies their strength. Failure isn't something they're ashamed of. It's something they strive for. Because then they know they can appropriate the banquet hall. It can become a vaccine testing center. How much are the vaccines? Don't worry. Our inside guys get paid. How much? Whatever we decide it is. It's a damn Ponzi scheme. It's not America anymore. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merck, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. 
And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. Excited about my next guest, Ted Gallen Carpenter, Senior Fellow for Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at Cato Institute. He's the author of a dozen books, but I just want to give you a couple titles because I love the titles. NATO, The Dangerous Dinosaur, Gullible Superpower U.S. Support for Bogus Foreign Democratic Movements, and The Ties That Blind. Love that. Ted, I want to thank you so much for joining me. How are you? Well, thank you for having me on your show, Sean. Now, listen, um, I remember a long time ago when the CIA got involved in the Middle East, 1953, with Iran. We've kind of been paying the, con- the, the cost for those consequences right up until today. But when you really step back and think about it, the military-industrial complex has profited immensely from the intervention, wrongful intervention, in, in so many of our foreign wars. Is this just a business plan at this point? I think it's a bit more than that. That's a big part of it. I mean, you're talking about a a trillion-dollar-a-year network of vested interests. That includes the defense contractors, but it also uh, includes the career bureaucrats at the Pentagon and the intelligence agencies. It includes uh, members of Congress who love to have all sorts of military-related contracts going to companies in their districts. And you have the think tanks and universities who get grants from a lot of those same entities and from foreign governments and foreign foundations. So there is a tremendous network of vested interests dedicated to preserving the United States as not just the global policeman, but the global armed social worker. And that's the role that uh, this country has been playing for a good many decades. And since World War II, I've noticed two things. It it seems to me to be a copy and paste of excuses, whether it's police action, we're always fighting communism, we're, we're, we're bringing democracy. It seems to me that we are kind of perpetrating... The, the, what the economic, the Confessions of an Economic Hitman had written about 20 years ago, where we are overthrowing nations that would dare resist our U.S. dollar and our superiority over their government. Am I off base? I think there are a lot of motives uh, for what the United States government has done, but the bottom line is it's been a calamity for most of the nations that have been the subject of U.S. attention, and it's been a calamity for the American people generally. Uh, Vested interests may have profited very highly, but the American people as a whole have not come off well at all. We have just uh, frittered away over $6 trillion just since 2001, waging wars in the Middle East, Afghanistan and a few other places. And you think what we could have done 
with those six trillion dollars. Almost anything. If we had put it in a pile uh, at the White House lawn and burned it, it would have done less harm than what the U.S. did with the money it actually spent on its various regime change wars, its nation-building enterprises. Those things have been an absolute catastrophe for the recipients of the U.S. attention and for the American people who've been paying for it in blood and treasure. And this is really a bipartisan philosophy that this country shares. I mean, I remember Charlie Wilson, I, I, I could be mistaken, but wasn't he a Democrat when we were arming who would then become terrorists? Um, it seems to be that, you know, I also remember when Barack Obama took a two-front war and made it a seven-front war, some of which we're still involved in, both in Syria and Yemen. Absolutely. Is, is it that the American citizen is so bogged down with with so much information that they don't care anymore. I don't know what happened to Code Pink. I remember when George Bush was president, they were parked outside of his farm. But now they're, they're voting. Active, but uh, the anti-war movement as a whole uh, tends to be very, very quiet when there's a Democrat in the White House. You can absolutely bet on that. But you also have this bipartisan consensus, really, for and global interventionist foreign policy. I think one of the saddest things I witnessed was to see neoconservative Republicans like Liz Cheney and so-called moderate Democrats in Congress cooperating to prevent to prevent Donald Trump from withdrawing any troops from Syria or Afghanistan, or for that matter, even withdrawing a small number of troops that are still in Germany protecting Germany from, well, not ex- something not exactly clear. Mm-hmm. The Germans should be able to handle their own defense, one would think, given the third largest economy in the world. But that, to have that kind of bipartisan, veto-proof majority to prevent uh, a president who actually wanted to withdraw just some of the troops that we had deployed in Syria and Afghanistan. I had that, some that really was a measure of just how strong this interventionist consensus is at the moment. I had some disagreements with some subsidies and some different specific economic policies of, of of Trump, but I in my opinion, I believe in my lifetime, fifty three years old, the greatest foreign policy president. And I, I, I'm wondering, was he so attacked by both the right and the left? Because philosophically, his foreign policy, he understood that the greatest harm to our so-called enemies is if the oil prices are low and America is self-sufficient in energy and even at some point an exporter of it. And that he wanted to take troops home and he wanted this constant bipartisan intervention foreign policy we have. Do you think that maybe the trillion dollars a year you, you, you told us about is too big for the for the political parties to risk any kind of disruption to that money flow to the to the same people? Well, let me say first, I think Trump talked a better game than he actually tried to implement. But he scared that network of vested interests dedicated to a global interventionist foreign policy. They really thought he was going to make radical changes end all of uh, America's regime change wars its nation-building mission, even downsize its long-standing military alliances like NATO and the alliance with South Korea that we inherited from the Cold War 
and these alliances still go on. So he seemed to be a mortal threat to that network of vested interests. As it turned out, I think he was much less of a threat in reality, but uh, very, very powerful individuals in very, very powerful institutions didn't know that. And so they reacted as though he was a dire threat to their careers, their budgets, their missions. And they struck back. You saw the national security state in action to try to limit Trump as much as possible. Ted, um, for half a century, Joe Biden has proven himself to be absolutely incompetent specifically when it comes to foreign policy. In fact, I believe he's been wrong for the whole 47 years. Yet he has this certain arrogance of accomplishment that I think kind of rubbed off from Barack Obama's presidency. Do you see him doing exactly what Barack Obama did, which is expanding our presence in the Middle East, expanding our interventionist policies, and uh, moreover, enriching our enemies by driving the cost of oil up? I think it may actually be even worse than that. I think uh, Biden has the potential to be even worse than Obama was, even worse than George W. Bush was. And by that, I mean, not only is he seemingly content to get the United States back into places like Syria on a larger scale basis, uh, but he is pursuing simultaneously very confrontational policies toward both Russia and China. And it was Henry Kissinger who made the observation several decades ago that it should be the objective of the United States to make sure that we're closer to China and to, at that time, the Soviet Union than they are to each other. The U.S. nightmare in terms of genuine security interests would be a strong Russia-China alliance. And yet the policies that the Biden administration is pursuing uh, threaten to create exactly that kind of alliance. It's creating an incentive for it. There are obstacles to it, to be sure. And we can hope that that alliance never materializes. But Washington is not pursuing a course that really benefits long-term American security interests. Ted, why do I feel after that that I'm going to end up like the man in the high castle here? I mean, it, it, it is just a culmination of mistakes. But one of the other mistakes that I think we've been making since the 70s, as I was reading at the Cato.org, it seems that the CIA has kind of a propaganda wing, and we call it our press, and that they have been doing this since the 70s. Are you now so uh, efficient in spotting it that you'll be able to see when we're going to do our next expansionist intervention in Middle East foreign policy? I would like to think I was that prescient, but uh, I, I don't make any guarantees on that score. But it certainly appears to be an unholy alliance between certain elements of the national security bureaucracy, especially the CIA, and uh, major portions of the mainstream press. And we saw it with uh, the Russia collusion allegations and so many other allegations against Russia, the so-called Russia bounty story, where Moscow was supposedly paying the Taliban to, to kill American soldiers. 
There was next to no evidence for any of that. And yet the mainstream media printed literally hundreds of stories implying that this was an established fact. Uh, That was a disinformation campaign coming from certain high-level figures in the national security bureaucracy. And the media just played along as an obedient ally. That is very, very dangerous. They're supposed to be the watchdog of, with regard to government activities. They're not supposed to be the government's lapdog. And that's pretty much what major chunks of the media have become in recent years. We now occupy a third of Syria. And there was just a, a breaking story. Um, I, I, I can't remember if it was the U.N., but some organization found out that the tale we were told about Assad using chemical weapons on his people has been proven false. I believe the story broke a few days ago. Do you think it'll make any headway in American media? I'm not sure it's been proven false, but certainly there's a lot of uh, doubt about the original stories. Um, and a, a good journalist would be pursuing that uh, vigorously. Unfortunately, we have very few journalists who are acting in that role. Uh, But I really worry about us uh, taking more steps into the Syrian quagmire. I wish that Trump had withdrawn every single soldier that we had in Syria and the contractors that are often paid mercenaries as well. And uh, I'm very much afraid that we're likely to see the Syrian mission expand, not contract under President Biden. Ted Carpenter, Senior Fellow, Defense and Foreign Policy Studies at the Cato Institute. I've truly enjoyed this interview, and I'm going to be bothering you in the future because I found found it riveting. And I want to thank you so much for joining me. We'll be back with your calls after this. 312-642-5600. I'll tell you, if you are an enemy of America and you have one viable commodity... And that price of that commodity were to go up, it would probably be a good thing for you. But boy, would it stink if you had that one valuable commodity and the price of that commodity plummeted where it almost was costing you more to to get it off the, the books than to keep it. That would probably be really, really bad for you and you would lose your wealth. See, when I hear about this green boondoggle, this phony nonsense of solar and wind, and I, I watch my government literally position itself against what's best for me and for my family, and, and then moreover, what's best for my country, and when it implements policies that literally strengthen who they themselves have told me is my enemy, I can't help but say, well, are you, are you aware of what you're doing when you... When you uh, create policies to make oil prices jump drastically in the two and a half months you've been in office? I mean, you know, I know when we say oil, we think, okay, gas. Well, sure, in Illinois it's expensive and it went up a dollar in six weeks, but that's not really the problem. It's the entire base product of oil, and it's jumped up rapidly. And if you are these enemies that we say the government has and that the CIA leaks information about to the newspapers, would really benefit them if oil was high. So see, the argument for... Organic energy, as I call it, also known as oil. The argument for that organic energy, best thing for America, is that not only is it good for us when prices are low, it's bad for our enemies. So why in the world 
with groups of politicians want to enrich the enemies, keep the fights going. Why? And then you realize when you have an expert on it's a trillion dollar a year spending. And who are you spending the money with? Yourselves. Boy, that would be good. I wonder how many Democrats share stock holdings with the Liz Cheney. I mean, that's just me. I like to think, but I want to do things a little differently. I don't want to just regurgitate the talking points of the Republican Party. I didn't like it when they were saying Saddam Hussein did it. I thought it was the big tall guy on the kidney machine. No, I didn't want to believe it. Oh, we got to make a left turn here. Well, why? Why? Now we know why. 20 years, $20 trillion, same contractors. I mean, I know it's just a baseline, probably sophomoric way to look at it. But I remember thinking to myself when I would watch the Vietnam protesters, I was, I was a kid when, it, when Vietnam ended. I think it went all the way to 1972. I remember thinking to myself, what if they're right? What if they're right? What if it has nothing to do with communism? What if it's just about money and protecting policy and enriching a handful of people? And then what happens? Vietnam identifies itself as democratic socialists. How many guys sitting in the White House and in Congress and in the Senate identify themselves as democratic socialists? What if it's all just a big scam and we're just the guys flipping the bill for it? And you don't have to make a lot of money to do it. And the, through the new debt and tax policies, odds are you're never going to make a lot of money. Dana, Northwest Indiana. Hello. Hi. Hi. Oh, hi, Sean. Yeah, no, um, I, uh, what I was calling you about was, um, uh, you know, we all have eyes and we all can see. And with the immigrants coming over, uh, the illegal immigrants, uh, I was saying to the young woman how I'm just shocked on, you know, they have a better iPhone than I have. They have iPads. They look relatively healthy. They have decent shoe wear. Mm-hmm. Um, who's paying these people? I mean, there's something nefarious going on. Dana, they, come they, on. They, you've, you've learned they are the virtuous welfare recipient. You are the evil American who has the audacity to earn. I mean, it's funny, as she says that, I was thinking to myself on the way to the studio all the time. I, I, I take a little route. I like to get a little coffee. I watch TV on the news, which is my want to do while I'm driving. And there's three bums on three corners. They all have new shoes on. They all have clean backpacks. So to her point, that's, they, that's the weapon against you. And it's the same thing. It's the weapon. It's the perception. It's the propaganda against the future in you. And, you know, as we step back at the macro policies of our foreign policies, which is what we were discussing, what is what is the weapon that's always used? The weapon of of what? Security, of fear, of our enemy. But there's two things that, that all of these enemies truly have in common. They don't ever hear their side. I remember when this, it started with Assad in Syria in particular. He was helping us after September 11th, and then right away he became an enemy. So we're frozen out from information, kind of like right now, how we're frozen out in our own border for information. Reporters aren't allowed to to actually report or worse. They're told what to say by the government in power. And all of these countries that we are supposedly at war with that are all bad and they're hurting their people and we're we're killing them for their own good, you know, to bring democracy to them. So we're killing them to bring democracy and make their lives better. But they all want to get off our dollar. Why wouldn't they want to get off our dollar? After all, we're going to print up as much as we need. We have not been to war with a country since World War II. 
that didn't first, first espouse a resistance to the American dollar. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I, I hate to do that, but I want to think on this show. This is my show now. We're going to do it my way. And what I want to do is I want to reject talking points. I want to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt. The Adam Kinzingers in the Republican Party are just as bad as the Nancy Pelosi's in the Democrat Party. And by the way, they share the same banker. They own the same stocks. They write the same bills. They front run the same laws. And they got the same contributors. And they got us arguing about who started the, the, the insurrection without weapons, right? Just turn on CNN. Who started the insurrection? What we've talked about in this hour and a half is more pertinent to your life and your future than anything that's on the propagandists. Because they've been fed it by government entities, in my opinion. 312-642-5600. Got nervous there for a minute. I thought Steve left some music behind. It's my producer, Johnny Rocket. Now, Johnny, I forgot to tell you. If Yuri calls and he tells you the eagle has landed, I want you to tell him the Sacagawea is under the mat in the passenger seat because I'm buying a counterfeit vaccination passport so that I can travel and move about the country like I used to before we became the Soviet Union. See? And that's where we're going. So you have to reach out to your Soviet friends out there, and they're going to know how to navigate this totalitarian government we now refer to as America because what's happening is the vaccine mandate is just around the corner. There's reports on how a county clerk, a court clerk, sent an email to his staff mandating the COVID vaccine and how it's legal. As of Monday, 65 or so Buncombe County court clerk staff members are required to get vaccinated against COVID-19. The directive coming from Superior Court Clerk Judge Stephen Cogburn. In bold typeface, it states all employees in good health must get the shot. We showed trial attorney Stephen Lindsay the letter. I think that that's probably subject to review by that's good news. You know, the county commissioners because the it's county commissioners oversee county properties. Employment attorney Grant Osborne says in a general sense, the requirement is legal. Employers are free, legally speaking, to require employees to submit to vaccinations. To- are you kidding me with that? Are you absolutely kidding me? So here's the question for you. What would you tell somebody whose employer mandated they receive the vaccine? We know this last year. You're not entitled to your own opinion. You have nothing to do with your own opinion. You can't have one. I mean, you could have one just as long as you agree with the state. It's like buying a Ford in the 20s. Oh, you could have one just as long as you want a black one. That's all we make. We're talking about sticking something in your body that has been approved under an emergency action. I mean, I remember reading... Viagra, which is really the main drug in Washington, D.C., along with the Chicago Democrats on Rush Street, was tested for 10 years before it was released to the market. I mean, we didn't want Big Eddie Burke going down with a heart attack after he swallowed a handful on his dates on Friday. Right? We wanted it to be safe. So you test Viagra for 10 years before you release it on the open market. But this, a vaccine that is supposed to fight a pandemic, the most, if I listen to the Democrats and I watch Pritzker, by the way, watching him sign a bill is funny. He had to jack up his sleeves. He couldn't even sign at the fat slop. And I listened to him. This is the worst illness, and you have very little chance. So obviously whatever they're using to combat it has got to be strong. I, I don't get to know about the tests or anything. And now my employer can mandate that I take it. And a county clerk 
for a county system, for a, a judicial system, says, yeah, it's legal. Yeah, I guess they can mandate it. So what would you tell somebody? What would you tell your kids? See, I, I had this happen to me with a relative I love. I, I don't agree with the vaccine. And um, he took it and he got very ill and I was terrified that something bad would happen. Thank God it all turned out okay. But I'm not, I'm telling my kids, I have two kids, I tell them, don't you let anybody put that in your body, ever. And there's not enough Democrats in Chicago to hold me down to get me to take it. That's my opinion, though. See, but I come from that old school where I was entitled to my opinion. I want to know what you would tell somebody, a relative, your daughter, your son, if his employer said, you got to take it. Jim Willowbrook. Hey, Sean, how are you tonight? Wonderful. How are you, buddy? Well, doing good, doing good. We've talked about this before in the past. There is no way in hell they can tell me this is legal. You just heard the guy from I the mean, county court say it's legal. I don't care what a clerk says. <laughs> I mean, I spent, you know, I, I spent 12 years in the Marine Corps, 25 years as a cop. You bet, like you just said, you better bring every damn Democrat in the city of Chicago. Jim, do you believe I'm this not is even a shot? Now, you went to the Marines, right? And my, I have yeah. family members, right? What do they tell you? They tell you you're fighting for the freedoms of the citizens of America. You're fighting for Absolutely. my liberty. And my and, you know, you're it's a like cop. I tell my son. Who's, Go ahead. Yeah. Well, it's like I just told my son. My son's on active duty Marine Corps right now. They're not requiring the military to get it. So how can they require a civilian to get it? Yeah. This whole thing is so bizarre to me. You know, I always knew to a certain extent, and you saw it as a policeman, at a certain extent, they make you enforcers of taxation, right? They make you tax collectors yeah. to a certain extent. Absolutely. But now you're, you're, you're talking about taking away the base choice of freedom and a person's control over his body, and you're legislating or you're making these, these Rube Goldberg laws where you can't travel, you can't go on airfare, you can't interstates. Do you think it's even the same country you 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 thought it was ten years ago? No, right. absolutely I'm... not, Jim. I want to I mean, thank there, you. There's actually a thing going uh, through some of the Marine websites that are they're saying exactly that. Is this the country we enlisted to defend? I love that, Jim. You made my night. Thank you so much. And the answer is no. I hope there's enough of you to to realize what's coming. Ken, Geneva. <laughs> Hey, hi. Great show again. Um, I just had actually two questions. One is, we know that this has, uh, one of the vaccines has the ability to permanently alter your DNA. It has formaldehyde, baby parts, and other chemicals that we have no idea about, and it's been rushed through. So they're telling, I, this is what I don't understand. They're telling us they can force us to take that, yet marijuana and cannabis, which has medical uh, treatment capabilities that's been proven in the medical community, they're saying that's an illegal drug. So that's number one. No, number they just two, legalized it. Not here, Ken. This is, they've had to adopt it in order to try to pay off some of the pensions. We're now drug dealers, and uh, we have gambling now. I think they're working I, on prostitution, but, but you know, they've got to get the numbers from the Democrats. Yeah, go ahead. Federally, it's not legal, and so you, can, you have to use cash. You can't use the banking system. And yeah. I find that to be kind of ironic. And then number two, how is it that Roe versus Wade survives um, when a woman has a right to her body, but a man doesn't have a right to his body? That's why, Ken. That's my original phrase. My body, my choice. Ken, thank you for calling the show. What happened to my body, my choice? My body, my choice is an excuse you can use to mots your kid, right? You can whack the baby, 
but you can't hold off the vaccine. Not to mention, I'm taking advice from a 400-pound teapot with no neck. Is he going to put it in, or is he going to get the placebo? I don't like this system based on trust of the least trustworthy. One thing's for sure. Cowards are in charge of brave men in the military. But now it looks like they get to tell you what you put in your body. It seems not just Soviet. It just seems like slavery. I'm a slave now. How else could you describe it? 312-642-5600. See, this is the perfect segment. I like to go to the weight room right after the show. Pipe it through the weight room. I know there's a button in there somewhere. All right. Now, I uh, am suspicious by nature. And I know we have no credentials, but I'm going to trust that Dr. Carlos is a doctor. Dr. Carlos, you're a real doctor, right? You're not one of those phony guys with the doctorate in, like, basket weaving, and I have to call you a doctor, are you? No. I graduated from the University of Illinois. Oh. Class of 1980. Wow. uh, With a doctorate in dental surgery. I've been on the front lines of this all through the thing. I've practiced in two states. I have licensure in Wisconsin and Illinois, and I've been in both states. And my question to you is, why is the science different in different states? I mean, you're asking a layman. You're the doctor. That really should be your question for your bosses and for politicians, because, doctor, it is so we are in such a bizarro position. We are in such an unusual place. I didn't think in America it was possible for the government to tell me I was forced to put a chemical into my body. I, I, I the real, I mean, are you shy? You're in the medical profession. It, it, it yeah, seems well, like I, when I, they I, made I, mental illness, remember when they sterilized people? I remember thinking how yeah. insane that was. To a certain extent, it's just force of a medical procedure that I do not have control of. That, to me, is what is utterly and completely outrageous. Well, either the Constitution exists or it doesn't. And I'm starting to think that it doesn't, at least in this time period that we're living in. Uh, My old folks live in uh, Mississippi. My son was in the Marine Corps. Um, uh, But you know how it is with the Marine Corps. You're only formerly. You're not. You're not ever out of the Marine. Right. You're always a Marine. I got an 80-year-old with a drinking problem in Florida. Reminds me of that. Uh, he, uh, he told me straight up, he's just going to lie. He's, he's going to tell him I got the shot. Love it. Um, I, ha- I had to get it. I worked for a temporary agency that sends me into two different states. And the difference is dramatic. And I live in McHenry, so I go north 10 miles and I'm in a whole different Look at that. Uh, pro- program. Well, Dr. Carlos, I want to thank you for calling. I want to thank you for listening. And if you decide to go south, you call Liberty Real Estate Services. By the way, Johnny Rocket, did Yuri call yet? No? Boy, I hope that's here before I leave the weight room. Margo Burridge. Hi, Margo. I think we hung up on Margo. Robert Bloomingdale. It's all about control, Sean, all about control. It's not the science like... 
Spalding wants you to believe. It's all about control, what they can tell you, what to do, what, when you can go see a baseball but game. But my question to you, Robert, is where's the lawyers? This seems like something, you know, I can't turn on my TV. They want me to sue Jewel if I should slip and fall. They're everywhere, right? Sue your wife, sue your aunt. Where are the lawyers fighting? Where's the ACLU? How is this not the American Civil Liberties Union's number one cause? It seems preposterous that lawyers are silent while I am being forced or intimidated to put a chemical into my body, which I'm supposed to be in control of, and women are using as an excuse to kill the kids. I know. And let me ask you this, because I know quickly. This is stuff made out of abortion parts. Yeah, well, that's listen, that's all. By the end of the time you hear Democrats talk, that'll be good for you. I had a great time. I'll be back tomorrow, 5 to 7. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. Believe in shooting stars, but she believe in shoes.